Saratoga may be in the books, but we're thrilled to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023. Going to keep things going like they've been going, covering Saturday racing each week on the Players Podcast. We're going to have write-ups and analysis at InTheMoneyPodcast.com for free. More stuff behind the paywall, like Nick's notebooks. You can get that, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. You can find us on the Naira site under their Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. And if you're looking to find out where you can find the America's Day at the Races coverage, we got you covered for that as well. For the full schedule, go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Monday, September 11th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again after a busy weekend of many podcasts and many TV shifts where I watched so much sports. I, I mean, I had all the monitors going, multiple tracks, U.S. Open, NFL. It was uh, really an embarrassment of uh, sporting riches for me. We're going to talk about it all. Well, not it all, but the racing piece of it anyway, with a man I'm about to bring in who you know from his work at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and elsewhere. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was good, Pete. Good to be with you. It was a little little more low-key than a lot of the fall weekends will go, um, but I will uh, be ready to ramp it up for sure moving forward. A little just dabbled here and there, nothing too uh, too extensive, but yeah, it was nice to see some of the other tracks get a little bit of a spotlight with some of the with the New York scene obviously dark for the weekend and now we're ready for Belmont at Aqueduct. I tell you, it it makes me feel much better when the weather is miserable like it was here. It's like what a perfect weekend to be an off weekend for New York racing. I, I felt like we didn't miss a thing. Yeah, the last thing we needed was an opening weekend of off the turf races and and sloppy tracks after what we experienced at uh, at Saratoga. So yeah, it's 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 a good thing. And uh, glad to have it behind us now. I think the weather is supposed to be better this upcoming week, which would obviously be ideal. And, you know, it's worth reminding everybody, it is going to be important at times during this fall meet for the turf courses at Aqueduct to get a little bit of rain. Um, But obviously, hopefully not copious amounts of rain because we want to still race. But they're going to put a lot more wear and tear on that course than it's used to. And uh, yeah, it looks like after Wednesday, the weather is supposed to be really good this weekend. So looking forward to that. And Obviously, uh, recapping a bit as well. I will be, God willing, in Toronto. Just came up this morning with the news that Perrin is down with COVID, so I'm a little scared. I will be uh, isolating and masking and doing all that stuff and hoping I'm testing negative to head up uh, to head up to Toronto for this weekend. But uh, maybe watching it all from the bunker. We shall see how that plays out. Let's start off looking at these races um, at, uh, let's look at the two-year-old races. And, and the one that uh, caught my eye and probably your eye more than any other in a while was the Del Mar debutante on Saturday night. Uh, what a performance by Tamara. What a great story this is. Um, you're not somebody who usually gets drawn into racing sentiment, uh, but what did you think of this performance generally? A casual and friendly way to call me a soulless, gambling, uh, skeptic, cynic, all wrapped in one. Um, yeah, I mean, even the even in the recesses of my totally cold racing heart, I was warmed a little bit seeing her barrel off the turn. And you kind of thought to yourself, OK, she's pretty damn good. 
Um, it was a, it was a compelling performance, no doubt about it. You know, they better like the race was over. And and generally, when that happens, I've learned with Southern California racing, it uh, it, it usually goes that way. So she was very impressive. I mean, she sat on top of a of a lively pace and it was none the worse for wear turning for home and really pulled clear. You know, I hate to say it because I hate the racing hyperbole and the uh, the, the now great haste to compare horses. Uh, but she looked a little bit like Mama coming off the turn. She looked like Beholder. And uh, it's great to see, you know, you and I have been around the game long enough to see a lot of really good race mares turn into really crappy brood mares. So yep. it's nice to see that she was able to, to pass her, uh, her her good lineage on. And um, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing her perform now moving forward. I mean, you look at the, the chart of the race, Pete, and, and I mean, Pushiness was a horse that she was tracking early. And I mean, Pushiness finished seventh. And Julia's Dream, who was in within range early, finished eighth. Second place finisher, Laurent, who has a, a kind of an odd way of going about her, who looked really good in her debut, finished a very clear second, came from deep in the pack. So did the third place finisher. I mean, I guess what I'm saying in, in, in too many words is she just shredded them, right? Yeah. I mean, she really looked good. And if you were making a future book right now on the uh, on the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, I mean, with all due respect to Brightwork and Ways and Means, pretty sure you're putting Tamara at about two to one. Yeah, so that that is what price is available, and I thought about it. I I was hoping to catch somebody napping and maybe grab some four or something, but that 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 came out from under. And the time was good, ninety one on the buyer speed figure scale, and you know you compare that to what the, a lot of the three year old fillies have been running. It's it's competitive with that, but and this was one I know you're not huge on the visual impression, but it was almost comical when she when she shed pushiness. And she's going into the turn, and I mean, she's not just like ears aren't just up; they're like flopping around. She's like, "Where's the competition? What do you want me to do now? Like, what, 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 what's going on here?" And then settling in for that stretch drive and just and just tearing off. It was it was fun to watch, and you know, I'm when you praise the visual performance at the at the exclusion of the speed figure, that's the way to ruin. But when they match up like they did with this horse, I think that's when you can have something a little bit special. How do you rate the rate what we saw visually as opposed to what we saw from, from the speed figure? Yeah. And see, my problem with the visual is when the visual is used to try and, and, and serve as an excuse for a slow race. So, I mean, when it's a fast race, I'm fine with the visual. The visual is, is the visual on this was damn good. I mean, I don't know how you could go any direction other than that. So it was, uh, it was, it was very, very strong. It was a very, very nice effort. And uh, again, sets her up very well. Glad to see that I priced that properly. I guess I'm not as shitty an odds maker as some people think, but (laughs) give me, give me more opportunities. I promise. Uh, But no, it was excellent. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you, and this is just an off the top of my head stat, but this was the fourth race where a two-year-old filly in this crop earned a buyer speed figure of 89 or better. Wow. And there were a grand total of two of those in 2023. So maybe we got a pretty nice look at crop. 2022, I'm sorry. 2022, right. Yes, yes, yes. I knew what you meant. Yeah. And let's hope yeah. that this this crop, uh, I mean, boy, it could be it could be something if we keep these. Uh, could, could I mean, all three of those that you mentioned have shown such talent. It'd be, it'd be amazing. But... Tamarin. Well, and the other thing, just on that topic real quick, was that the other thing was that the two Phillies who did it in 2022 never ran. They didn't run again in 2022. So it was right, Money's right. Golden Prank, right. both right. 10 Pletcher horses, right? Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, the, let, let's hope that the, this race stays together. It really could be something special, and I can't wait to see what this one does next. Made the 6-5 to five look like a gift, I'll say, on Saturday night. While we're talking grade 1s in Del Mar, we should just go right to the Del Mar Futurity. Prince of Monaco coming in off that wild 103 buyer speed figure and uh, backed it up in terms of the result uh, if not necessarily in terms of the, uh, the margin of victory or the speed figure, uh, gets ahead of uh, Miramati or stays ahead of Miramati, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, 87 figure, five cents on the dollar for Prince of Monaco. Crazy. Um, but maybe not so crazy when you looked at the figures in the field coming in. Frank Scatoni actually really liked and made a compelling case for Miramati here. I thought he was half crazy, but uh, he gets the last laugh the way this one played out on the track. What did you think of this effort by Prince of Monaco? You know, I think we probably were expecting a little bit more based on how well he ran in the best pal. And I think it's important to just really take into consideration the context of each of those races. And I say that because the best pal was a race that was set up for a fast speed figure and a big effort from Prince of Monaco. This was always going to be more workmanlike and more grindy with him breaking from the inside and it looking like Miramati was probably going to set the pace. Now, Miramati, you know, for what it's worth, is a horse that the barn really, really liked. Yep. And, I mean, they liked him early early on enough to, to run him in a stake first time out. So I don't, you know, I think the, the erroneous way to approach this race from an analytical standpoint is to say, well, he tracked a maiden and, you know, you know seemed to have a hard time putting a maiden away. I don't really think that's the average maiden. So he had an 87 buyer, um, which again, is right in line with what you would expect from a, a mid, I still consider this to be about a mid-season two-year-old, and, um, and and Miramati ran an 86, beaten three quarters of a length. So, you know, what do I what do I think is going to happen, Pete? I think they're going to run Miramati in the American Pharaoh, or they're going to run Miramati in a maiden race, and I think they're both going to run in the Breeders' Cup, and I think Miramati's going to be a, a hell of a fullback, and I'm, I'm guessing that the, the human Miramati would probably serve as a fullback for Bob Baffert if necessary, too, so. You know, I've, seen, I've seen that at the sale, actually. <laughs> I don't think he'd mind me saying that. <laughs> Very, very funny. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how. What do you think about how far Prince of Monaco wants to go? I mean, how serious of a he's obviously a contender for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. How serious of a contender is he? I mean, he would have been. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like his price went up after this, based on you know obviously the one hundred and three the last day. Yeah, I mean, it feels like he probably stands to lose from now until the Breeders' Cup more than he stands to gain because I imagine they'll train him up. I know one of the things that Baffert said about Muth when he scratched him from the the uh, hopeful is that he was going to run him in the American Pharaoh. I doubt Prince of Monaco runs again. So it, it feels like you're probably only going to get a better price on him as time goes by because the thing is you're going to have a winner of the Iroquois. You're going to have a winner of the Breeders' Futurity. You're going to have a winner of the Champagne. You're going to have a winner of the American Pharaoh. In all likelihood – based on what we've seen so far from this crop, somebody's going to run well, right? And that horse right now is probably one who's lingering out there in the six to eight to one range and their price is going to get cut in half. So, you know, let's say, for example, Timberlake really turns things around in the breeder's futurity, which why would that surprise anybody being a Brad Cox horse who's shown that he has a lot of, uh, of ability already? Well, then, you know, he's a horse that could go off seven to two or three to one or something like that. There are also possibilities in the Bob Baffert barn 
that you could see as, as far as horses running a little bit better. I mean, I, I think I feel like in a way what you're getting at is we kind of wanted to see a little bit more from him yesterday, you know, and, and I think and I wonder if we were maybe overrating him a tad based on his prior start and maybe he's just not quite that good. But, um, yeah, he doesn't seem like the the sure thing locked in favorite that we kind of thought he would be based on the best pal. So I I, I I think that's kind of my my take right now. That's sort of my worry, so to speak, um, I, is that I, I wish he could run a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what if they run again. You might be right. Training up, it's a it's hard to evaluate him off of. Doesn't necessarily seem like one who has to stretch out on pedigree, though. You would certainly think he would. That group obviously in the business of of uh, creating stallions, and and you'd think. They're they're certainly looking for ones that can at least get the at least get the mile mile and a sixteenth type of distances towards the end of the year. But we'll see how that all plays out. There's so many different ways we can potentially go. We don't have time for all of it, so let's just cherry pick. Um, what were some of the races that impressed you on on Saturday around the country, whether it was Colonial Downs or or Kentucky Downs or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, I thought the Virginia Derby effort. Um, from the winner there, integration was uh, was pretty strong, and given the quality of the horses that he beat in just his second start, um, I was I was impressed. I, he took a lot of money, and he ran well. And you know, for a, a summer for Shug McGahee that's been awfully slow, um, he he ran he ran a pretty exceptional race, all things considered. So I was I was impressed by him. Um, he beat obviously a very solid horse in program trading. Who you wonder if maybe. Coming back, which just sounds so ridiculous, but coming back five weeks after the effort on bottomless ground maybe took a little bit of a toll on him. It felt like race flow-wise, he maybe didn't quite get the best of it, making the first move into a pace that was collapsing pretty rapidly. So uh, integration at least feels like a horse that that will get a look in some of these later season three-year-old turf races. From a buyer speed figure standpoint, a program trading ran every bit as well as he had in the uh, in the race at Saratoga. He got a 94 figure. The winner got a 96. Yeah. So no uh, no shame in that. Um, the earlier three-year-old race at, at Colonial went in wire-to-wire fashion to 30,000 Kelvin, who was a horse who had shown some talent at different times in the past. I feel like as the three-year-old Philly division is, uh, I feel like it's getting a little long in the tooth, if you'll if you'll stick with me on that. They're, they're just kind of, other than maybe a spray and Anisette coming out of, of the good races at Del Mar and Saratoga, it feels like the depth in that category is actually shrinking because a lot of the early season horses that we saw run well, the Mission of Joys and the Heavenly Sundays, they've just proven to be very average. They're just not much. They're they're grade three types at best. And I feel like now as we, we get into the nitty gritty and you foresee a, a, into the future a race like the QE2, these horses, it feels like we're going to be looking at fresh faces. I think that could be right, and we'll see who ends up, if anybody, but usually you'll get an invader or two for that one. We'll be following that and the whole Keeneland meet with uh, with great interest. Let's talk about Moira for a second. I don't know how much you were across uh, Woodbine this weekend, but boy, that was a lot of fun seeing her get back to her best. That piece set her up for that slingshot move around the turn. Triple-digit buyer in the end, a 101 might send her as the favorite to the EP Taylor, and maybe they'll think about uh, Breeders' Cup, Philly and Mare Turf again. Obviously, there'll be various gorillas coming in from overseas, but you couldn't rule it out based on what we saw. I, I thought that was fun to see Moira getting back to her best. Did you, what did you think of that effort? Yeah, I agree, um, and it will, it's always fun to have as much involvement from the Canadians as possible. Moira is obviously a Philly with a lot of talent. 
And um, I, I'm excited to see how she performs. And obviously she'll go to the EP Taylor, as you said, and we'll see how she performs there. I know there are a couple of American horses pointing to that as well. So yeah, always fun to see a, a filly that won the Queen's Plate performing at a high level. And she certainly faced a, a legitimate field in this race. I mean, Fevrover was coming out of the Beverly D. I don't think that that's a Beverly D that Dank and some of the other fillies we saw over time win would say, yeah, that's that's not quite the Beverly D. But um, it was still a grade one win and she had really no excuse at all on Saturday. So it was uh, it was a very nice effort for Moira, who it feels like they're kind of working out some of the the quirkiness that she's had at times running too, and they've got her really at her best right now. Yeah, it'll be fun to, to, to see what happens as her season goes along. Let's talk about Kentucky Downs somewhat as a group. Generally speaking, does the quirkiness of the Kentucky Downs course or the, you know, the uniqueness of the Kentucky Downs course, does that make you less likely to necessarily want to latch on to horses who ran this weekend, even ones who were very impressive for uh, Breeders' Cup of future possibilities i mean how do you evaluate kentucky downs form when it when it goes elsewhere do you say oh it's so high class there's so much money it's i'm going to give it extra credit or do you say what happens in franklin stays in franklin yeah that um that, that last last part um you know with all due respect to kentucky downs and everybody who who um who runs there and, and and everybody affiliated with it. We're proud to have them as partners on the network, but yeah, this is a, what happens there stays there course if there ever was one. Right. And, and I mean, it be, became pretty clear to me in full disclosure, I bet Balladeer in one of the early races on Saturday, because um, I love Florent Giroux on the front end. I think Florent Giroux is the best front run rider, front front end rider in America by a mile. I thought Balladeer was totally loose and I hadn't really watched the early races all that closely, but I felt like, you know, they've taken the rail down every year and the rail has been good when they've done it. And so I'm just going to bet this horse to wire the field. And he had never really effectively gone a mile and a mile and an eighth, let alone a mile and five sixteenths. And he looked like I could have ridden him in the stretch. So he was loaded turning for home. And so it became clear to me that this was not only a course that was favoring speed, but it was favoring horses that were forwardly placed. And of course, that worked towards making a mockery of my analysis of this race from having discussed it with you when I basically said get smoking was a joke to get a mile and a half. And um, and now he feels like a horse that's going to be flying down the hill in about eight weeks, setting a pace in the Breeders' Cup that uh, might even require Aiden O'Brien to leave his rabbit at home. So it's it was it's it was a race where you know uh, get smoking won and and much like his uh, sire when he was most successful I was not on board so it uh, it's just a race that lives in isolation to me and and a lot of, what these races are for are for you to bet back horses that have wide trips in my opinion that's just what you're supposed to do but really Pete what my concern is that. I don't know how good a lot of them are. I really don't. I don't know if, if they're, they're races that really are of a high caliber. What I know is that they have a, a big purse, and I don't know if that necessarily means that they're significantly better. So I think you have to take them kind of with a grain of salt and, and just see if you can find a trend or something noticeable that you could then use as, as an actionable item because that's really the only the only way to go about it. You know what? Maybe we'll talk about this more. Are you up, uh, production meeting in the middle of the show, you up for coming on with me tomorrow at some point to do closing day? Maybe we can look back at some of the trends and some of the things you'll be looking to uh, to bet on or against. We can go deeper in the context of that show. Is that possible? Yeah, I think that's possible for sure. 
excellent. I'll text you. We'll get the, the time sorted out. But that's definitely a topic worthy of, uh, of further exploration, I think. We'll probably have time to uh, talk about one more race we saw over the weekend. Uh, where, where shall we go? Um, I mean, I guess the other – so the other win in your in race for the Breeders' Cup besides the Kentucky Turf Cup was the uh, the sprint, right? Yep. Which which was won by Gear Jockey, which is kind of funny because he is a – I guess as much of a Kentucky down towards for courses as you're going to have. Yep. And, um, and that, that, was a, that was an effort that I didn't expect to see. It looked like he had totally lost his form, but he quickly regained it at the right time and – and put forth an effort that I wouldn't have expected. So uh, good on jockey uh, Jose Lascano to recognize where he wanted to have this horse early and and race him in such a fashion to, to get him over and um, get him close. And that's when he had been at his best anyway. So it was not a performance that I could see, um, but you certainly got rewarded if you were willing to at the $48. Yeah, I, I, I gave him out as a secondary, as my second horse in the race, when, in the show that we did, and it was really just one of those maybe rounding into form, and hey, look at this horse for course angle. It's it's so it's such a different place, Kentucky Downs, and I, too, was absolutely uh, flabbergasted by the Get Smoking performance, and also, to a lesser degree, Aspenite yesterday, just as horses I, I just didn't think were going to be able to get home on that course, but hey... Uh, gear jockey'd shown that he could do it before and with the with how the track was playing get smoking and aspenite were able to do it too it's tough you know you want to make rules in racing you want to say oh this this can't happen x can't happen because of y etc but boy more than any other gambling endeavor racing will keep you on your toes in that regard but glad to give gear jockey a call that was uh that was a nice effort uh and and uh, a good figure too ends up with a 99 um very obvious question that I'm pretty sure you've already answered, but speed figure wise, you, you're not necessarily looking for them to, to translate to to another course. You might give gear jockey in particular horse. You might be more uh, more apt to evaluate off his previous figures than what he's accomplished at Kentucky Downs going forward. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and look for practical purposes as far as the Breeders' Cup goes. Gear jockey is really up against it at five eighths. I mean, he's not quick enough to stay close, and he needs a trip like the one he had on Saturday where he can stalk and potentially get the jump on everybody else, and he's just not getting that at, at, at five furlongs in a burner type of race. The interesting thing to me about this race, other than the you know six horses being smashed together, separated by about a length, was that uh, you saw one-timer show a new dimension and coming from a little bit off of it. And he's a horse who's run extremely fast a number of different times. You wonder if Larry Ravelli might be looking to put forth an, an, an uncoupled entry of him. And, and Nobles, who won the uh, the race at Colonial, the turf sprint that he was cross-entered in, in addition to being entered at Kentucky Downs, because they could really complement each other very well if one is sort of sent on a on a suicide mission to set the pace and the other is, is set to come from a little bit off of it. Um, that might be something worth following. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, these five furlong turf sprints have generally been races dominated by Wesley Ward trainees or freakishly fast front-running types. And... Um, I'm forgetting the Phillies name who wired Belvoir Bay was the last one. It's yep. I, I think I, I believe every five furlong turf sprint um, run in California in the Breeders' Cup has been a wire to wire. No, they've not all been wire to wire wins. They've all had forwardly placed horses perform extremely well. And uh, thinking back, of course, to 2021, 2019. So, you know, we're looking to try and figure out who that fastest horse is, because it, interestingly, Wesley Ward doesn't really have one. 
he does not have that golden pal type that we just think is going to book it on the front end and try and, and go the trip. I guess Caravel's one of the faster horses involved, but um, she obviously there's a little little shine taken off of her with uh, what's gone on in the last couple of months too. We'll be talking about all this Breeders' Cup stuff in the weeks leading up, starting pretty much right now. And, Nick, you'll be back tomorrow to help us look at the closing day Kentucky Downs card. Thanks for coming on and doing some reflection with us here today. Anytime, my friend. Talk to you soon. Horseshoe Indianapolis listened to its supporters and got rid of the straight fire six jackpot from the wagering menu and replaced it with a second pick five. Now you've got pick fives on the first five thoroughbred races and the last five. These wagers are separate pools, separate carryovers, and they both have the industry low takeout of 11.99%. Definitely racing you want to pay attention to at Horseshoe Indy. Also, get this on the calendar. Horseshoe Indy is going to be hosting a contest December 2nd with the top four advancing to the NHC finals at Horseshoe in Las Vegas. That's March 15th through 17th, 2024. We're going to have full rules and uh, details available soon on that. Definitely, if you want to vote with your dollar, play those pick fives at Horseshoe Indianapolis. Next up on the show, very happy to be joined by a man we love to check in with before all the big weeks up at Woodbine Entertainment ahead of Saturday's Woodbine Mile. We bring you the CEO of Woodbine Entertainment. He's Jim Lawson. Jim, how are things? Things are great. Happy to be on and, and, and speaking to you again, Peter. Let's look back before we look forwards. Felt like being there for the King's Plate, that it was a very successful day looking at handle numbers, etc., it was a bit of an experiment, I suppose, having the August date with the full crowds back. How did it work out from a Woodbine point of view? It was excellent. Uh, it uh, We set a record uh, record day for us in wagering, and uh, so that's a good starting point. But it was it was a big field. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, we, we moved the race back, and uh, we've had to do that for a couple of years as a result of the pandemic. But uh, it started out as an experiment, and Given the success, I, I think it's likely here to stay. We have uh, we had 17 horses in the in the field. Uh, the Prince of Wales, which is the second leg, goes tomorrow at Fort Erie, and it's the largest field for the Prince of Wales that they've had in 21 years. And I know our our field last year for the third leg, uh, the Breeder Stakes was uh, was a record size for us in in, in many years. So. Uh, Moving it back seems to give these uh, three-year-olds, especially those that don't train south of the border, uh, a chance to get ready to go a mile and a quarter. And uh, it, it ended up uh, resulting in an exciting horse race. And all around, just a great, great day at Woodbine with the pomp and ceremony and, and everything went smoothly. And uh, we were very, very proud of the day. I had to laugh at some point when I was tapped on the shoulder and asked by a fantastically dressed couple where the royal enclosure was. I forgot where in the world I was for a second. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, there's a, as you, there's a lot of pageantry in the royal Landau and the representative of of the monarchy uh, and the uh, and the horse guard from the from the uh, Toronto Police. It it just adds a lot of color to the day, along with the fashion that's very similar to. To Royal Ascot, which I think was your reference. Indeed, indeed. I, I noticed you got that top hat off as quickly as possible, though. I guess it was kind of hot. Pretty warm day, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> protocol, I try to keep it off <laughs> with respect to uh, being with the, uh, the, the the monarchy and uh, yeah. just just good protocol. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's talk about Fort Erie for a second. 
and the big race coming up tomorrow night. I know a lot of our people play throughout the week. Uh, what You mentioned the field size. What are sort of the main storylines as far as you're concerned heading into this race? Well, I think the biggest storyline is, is can Paramount Prince uh, repeat? He, he certainly, I believe, will be a heavy favorite. He's going a little bit shorter in distance, dropping back from a uh, mile and a quarter, mile and three sixteenths. I, the big question mark always is moving from the synthetic onto, onto the dirt, which uh, he'll be doing at Fort Erie. And, uh, you know, three out of the top four finishers uh, from the plate uh, will be, will be running tomorrow uh, at Fort Erie. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And there's, it's, uh, I think the surface has uh, more to do with it than anything. The, the weather forecast, I think there's a little uh, rain tomorrow. I don't know whether, what it'll be like uh, late tomorrow afternoon, but um, I think that's the storyline. Can they, can they, uh, can they stop Paramount Prince? It'd be fun to see a, a triple crown on the line in a few weeks time in the Breeders' Stakes. Also, we'll look back very quickly to last year's Queen's Plate, just because I thought one of the moments of the weekend with that great racing all over North America and really all over the world if you include the Irish win in your in stuff, uh, one of my favorite things was to see Moira get back to winning ways. That was a pretty electrifying effort. Were you, were you surprised to see her win that easily? Yeah, I, I certainly was. Uh, I've, you know, I've been uh, following uh, Mark Cassie's horse, Fevrover, and her heroics. And uh, she went in as, uh, I think, the even money or six to five favorite. And, uh, and was well positioned too. So it was a small field. Fev Rover had no excuses, and uh, Moira Moira romped. So I mean, good for her. But uh, it was uh, it was a, an exciting race, and uh, nice to see her win like that. Sounds like she'll be adding some star power to the EP Taylor in a few weeks' time. Is that what you're hearing? I haven't heard that, but uh, I won't be surprised off that effort. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, backing that up or improving from there, you might be looking at a Breeders' Cup uh, Philly and Mare turf contender. How cool would that be for a former uh, Queen's Plate winner? Only beaten about six in it last year and looks like you might have gotten better. So that'll be that'll be fun to follow. But really, the reason I wanted you to come on today was to talk about this big weekend. I'll be heading back up to Toronto, one of my favorite weekends of the year. So much great stuff going on in the city. What are you most looking forward to about this Woodbine Mile weekend? Oh, the the three grade ones. I mean, it, it is uh, as much as we love to celebrate and bring out the crowds for the the King's Plate. Uh, this is this uh, day of racing, which we're coining the Turf Champions Day, with the three grade ones, the three winning your ends with the with the million dollar mile and the five hundred thousand for each of the Natalma for the Phillies and and the Summer Stakes. Uh, for, for both for two-year-olds, I mean, they, it's just an amazing day of racing, and uh, so I, I'm really excited about those three races, and uh, I, I get equally excited about all of them. They're they're just fantastic uh, races at a mile on that EP Taylor course, the wide sweeping turn. They're, they're, it's just an exciting exciting venue for great racehorses. And we've seen it year in and year out, and I love that branding. We've got Irish Champions Day. We've got English Champions Day. Can't really have it in the USA with, the, you know, the Breeders' Cup sort of has uh, eaten that moniker. But why not? A Canadian Championship Day. Uh, and I know I'll be there with bells on. What are we looking forward to in terms of European participation in those big races? Do you have any any sense of who might be turning up from their shores? 
Yeah, I, I think the uh, and it'll likely be the horse to beat is we're expecting a Master of the Seas to to show up the five five year old uh, out of by Duawi. Uh, he's certainly I I looked at his record this morning. I think he won his won his last start uh, in the in mid July. He uh, just anything that uh, Charlie Appleby. I think Wayne Buick's going to come over to ride Master of the Seas. He'll be awfully tough, and uh, so that's that's the stalwart. That's that's for sure. That's what we're expecting from Europe. Uh, I think Godolphin might also be sending over a, a two-year-old filly named Dazzling Star, and so it's um, with with Master of the Seas in the mile. Um, the the the, uh, the locals are going to have their hands full, which uh, I don't know whether I'd characterize Cheryl Spite as a local or not. Certainly. It's been all over the world, and uh, and Mark Cassie, of course, has Ice Chocolate, who's a Brazilian horse. But uh, it's um, it's shaping up to be a, a, a competitive field. We might have seven. I think there's a couple of trainers sitting on the fence right now, so we'll see uh, how the how the field uh, gets sorted out this week. But uh, it's going to be a strong um, strong field in the mile and. Uh, and then, and the two-year-old races, the the Philly race is going to be loaded. I, I we might have fourteen entries in there. Oh, wow. um, some of them will likely be cross-entered into the summer because there's a smaller field right now at eight. But uh, if some jump over, we might end up uh, with thirteen or fourteen in the Natalma and in uh, ten or so in the summer. So it's it's going to be a great uh, great competitive fields uh, with with the. Uh, with the two-year-olds, a lot of young horses, of course, that have only had a couple of starts, so it's wide open. And uh, as I said, the mile is going to be a strong, small field and an exciting day. Well, mystery will be revealed soon, but I was curious. There have been a lot of Chad Brown runners potentially mentioned for the Woodbine Mile, maybe using as a, a natural prep for the for the Breeders' Cup Mile. Do you know if any of those are going to be turning up, or is it is it are you in wait and see mood mode? Uh, just I'm like, I'm chuckling because I think Mr. Brown is playing it fairly close to the vest, uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know for sure. I, we'll I, see I, it entry time. I, I, you know as much as I know, Pete. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, yeah, there's a you know, white beam, and in Italian have been bandied about as possibles for the race, which would be, which would be interesting. And yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of possibles. So we'll see, we'll see how that one shakes out in the juvenile fillies race. In that, in that Natalma, any in particular you're looking forward to seeing at this stage? Well, I think there's there's a couple of. Uh, a Rosell, uh, who's run here, Golden Canary, one of one of uh, Mark Cassie's horse that won the prep. I think Christoph has has got a uh, a, a two year old filly that he really likes that, that that may well be headed. So it's it's going to be a wide open race. Uh, not to suggest that the summer's not going to be, but uh, the summer stakes. Uh, uh, Mark I, Cassie, I know, is really high on a horse that he bought uh, locally named My Boy Prince, and he won his last start. I'm going to guess I saw the replay because um, Mark sent me a text and said, did you see that? And I think the horse <laughs> won by about 18 lengths in the yearling sales stakes, and I, Mark's high on him. Uh, then uh, I think Christoph's sending a nice two-year-old up uh, Carson's run. So it's it's going to be a competitive field, and uh, with, uh, I'll say, particularly the Phillies with a, is going to have – 13 or 14 horses in it and, and wide open. Great. 
when is the draw? Do you know offhand? Uh, Wednesday. Uh, no, uh, no special uh, live draw this year, um, but uh, it, it, it will be on Wednesday. Excellent. Well, we're going to have tons of coverage. We've got a special show covering it. We're going to have written coverage. Um, I'll be doing some written coverage also over at attheraces.com. Before I let you get out of here, Jim, I always like to check in on your runners and, and what's been going on with your stable. What's what's the latest on, on your season as an owner? Uh, it's been it's been okay. Um, the horse I sent out west, one for chap, didn't, didn't really take to the dirt out there, which is can be frustrating. Um, and, and he had some, an injury issue. So that, that, that was, that was not good. Uh, I had, uh, a, uh, a nice, um, two-year-old Philly by Matoli who was training well. And, uh, and we've, we've set her back, but uh, we did win a, a race last weekend. And then on mile day, uh, you can look for, we've got a, a two-year-old filly who ran a, a maiden 40, but was coming like a freight train in her last race. And, uh, so we're going to run her a mile in the turf in a maiden special weight, uh, uh, this coming weekend. And her name is Bravo Kate. So, uh, she's a big filly. She might, uh, I think she's going to take to the turf. She's bred to the turf. So we'll, we'll see. Might be one of those who uh, you know figures things out on debut and ends up being a little a little classier than you, you even thought based on that placing first time out. Have you been following the first year sires closely? I know that's a game that you like to play. Just curious if anybody in particular has uh, has impressed you. I noticed the Matolis <laughs> are starting to pick up a little bit, uh, and any others? Uh, obviously, Omaha Beach has been uh, extremely notable. What else have you been seeing out there that that's been catching your eye, perhaps for for mayors in the future? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't rolled up my sleeves yet. We've got five mayors that we have to find matings for, and uh, three mayors that I'm I'm really high on. So we'll be looking for that kind of sire. And when we talk again, Pete, we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, I'll I'll let you know the result of the the homework. I love it. I always love talking racing with you, Jim, and it's fun just always having you here to set the scene ahead of these big weekends. I'm coming up midweek. We'll be doing Horse Player Happy Hour live from somewhere in Toronto. I'll be broadcasting for At The Races on Saturday. Hopefully, our paths will get a chance to cross too, Jim. Always appreciate yeah. you coming on the air here. Great. Well, thank you for having me on, and I will say I, I look forward to connecting on Saturday. Unlike my hosting duties on on King's Plate Day, I'll have a little more time to to catch up with you this coming Saturday, and I look forward to doing so. So, thank you. I only saw you from afar, and I knew you could. It was just one of those. I can tell this isn't a good time, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll catch up on Saturday. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. All the best. This year, we've been so happy to add Qatar Racing to our list of sponsors, the main sponsor of our JK Plus One show, and also with ads on our flagship show, just like the one I'm reading now. Qatar Racing is a subsidiary of Kipco, the largest sponsor in British flat racing. As a global racing and breeding operation, Qatar Racing Chairman Sheikh Fahad bin Abdullah Al Thani has created an expansive international sponsorship portfolio to include the Breeders' Cup and events like the Pegasus World Cup Turf. Qatar Racing has over 100 horses in training, many mares, foals, and yearlings, and four top-class stallions, Kamiko, Zustar, Havana Gold, and Lightning Spear. Don't miss out on the great Qatar Racing action and learn more about the operation at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash Qatar.
Last but not least, we bring back a woman I've been meaning to reach out to for a while to talk about uh, this year's Horse Racing Women's Summit. She is a board member of that organization, Shona Rotundo. Shona, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Did I describe you correctly? Are you on the board of, of, of the summit? Yeah, so we're we call ourselves a committee, and the committee is you know a small but mighty group of women, and we're actually not everyone knows this, but we're one hundred percent volunteer based organization. So we have our core committee that founded Horse Racing Women's Summit, and we've been building upon that and bringing in many other women who have been knocking on the door to, to help in any way they can. And so we're, we've been creating many spinoff committees since then. So it's exciting to see that we're growing. That's very good because this is not an organization that's been around for, for all that long. Just started, was it just last year, if I'm remembering that right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's been fast and furious from the very beginning. Um, so we, you know, last year was our inaugural event. And we learned a ton. And I mean, God bless Santa Anita Park and, and the folks at First Racing and, and our sponsors at First and FanDuel uh, for believing in us and, and helping us get this off the ground and then coming back for a second year. And, you know, we've we've learned from last year and we we really try to listen to the attendees. So we've been over, you know, the last year sending out multiple surveys, trying to understand exactly what everybody wants to get out of this year's event. Um, in addition to, you know, having multiple like meetups across the year in different regions. So we really got a chance to, to hear what women wanted out of this year's uh, summit. And so we're super excited for, for year two. I want to drill down into some of those reactions to feedback, but let's get to the headlines straight away. The summit itself is coming up and coming up fast. Um, where is it? Where can folks get tickets and give us that very high level overview for somebody who might be hearing about it for the first time. Definitely. So you can go to womeninracingsummit.com. That's our website. So it's www.womeninracingsummit.com. There you can click through to learn more about the summit, the schedule. We have a welcome reception on Wednesday, September 27th in the evening. So we'll kind of kick off with an opportunity to network and enjoy, you know, cocktails and snacks and break the ice. We have some some fun activities that that we're going to be doing for icebreakers on Wednesday evening at Santa Anita. And then, you know, we dive right in on Thursday. So we kick it off on Thursday, September 28th with a keynote from Reagan Cannon, who if you Google her, you can check out her TED Talk. She's absolutely amazing, inspirational. Um, she's a writer. She's a, a life coach. I've actually personally worked with her and she has helped me in my career immensely. Um, she's a super inspirational person. So very excited to have her kick off the, the summit this year. Um, and then we have three panels. So the first panel is right after our keynote, really talking about the state of the industry. Uh, you know, we don't shy away from the difficult topics. Um, you know, not really business as usual. We, we try to shake it up a bit. So we have a video address from Shannon Arvin, who's the president and CEO of Keeneland. Um, we have Brittany Yurton on a panel. We have Joy Garner, who's the SVP and general counsel um, at Naira. We have Lisa Lazarus from HISA, um, Dr. Castile Batten from First Racing. So some really interesting and impactful women who are going to kick things off for us uh, on Thursday. 
Then we head into a luncheon, get to relax a little bit, network, uh, followed by a, a panel two, which is called Running the Show, the show that's about racetrack management, um, and really kind of talking about what it takes to, to bring racing onto that worldwide stage where people can view it from so many different places now at this point with streaming services and you know it's not just about TV anymore. So um, between the racetracks yep. and the TV uh, networks, how it all comes together. So we have some familiar faces there like Claudia, Claudia Spadaro from Hippica TV. We have Jessica Peckett, who's the announcer at Parks Racing. So we're here That's a little regular over here. Yeah, yeah. Amy Zimmerman, Ann Hall. Uh, and then lastly, we have our, our third panel looking forward, um, which is just about how do we identify and engage um, you know, maybe some of those underrepresented stakeholders in, 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 the, in the business uh, and how do we really try to, to push forward and, and create change. So um, I'll just quickly list off the featured speakers there. We have Karen Chavez from the New York Racetrack Chaplaincy, uh, Chanel Minifield from uh, Let's Ride. She's a trainer and equestrian. Catherine B. Isti from the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, and then Anise Montplacier from Amplify Horse Racing. So I'm sure you're familiar with Anise. Um, sure. All also very a frequent guest. Yeah, she's been yeah. on here to talk about all kinds of all kinds of good stuff going over on the Amplify side of things. It's an impressive list, and not you know I love reaching outside of racing too to get some to get some advice for in you know in a place like the NFL that's made uh, some legitimate progress in recent years when it comes to uh, taking advantage of uh, of the strengths of half the population to make the whole endeavor better. And I love the mix of the practical and the educational with obviously the, the networking, which I imagine is one of the main benefits in addition to the great content that people are going to get when they go out there, that chance to find somebody who can maybe act as a mentor or at least point uh, point somebody in the right direction, depending on what kind of career they're looking forward to. I imagine that was a huge part of your vision from the beginning here. 1000%. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that the value of this ticket is that you get to spend time with these women and learn from them. And they don't, they don't, you know, they don't leave after the panel. They're there all day. I mean, we had, you know, what was amazing about last year's event is that from the welcome reception, reception, all the way through to the closing reception, these women were here, they were available, they were uh, open to networking and and meeting new new people at, at whatever stage of the career that they may be in, whether it's just starting out in the industry or you know having been in it for ten years like myself, um, kind of in the in the midpoint. Uh, these women are are here to to help and to mentor um, and to inspire other women in the in the business. And then I think the other thing that's one thing that's new this year is on Friday we're actually going to be doing a workshop on Friday morning. And so anyone who can continue to stick around and come to this workshop, it's designed specifically to identify what the action items will be for the Horse Racing Women's Summit Committee in 2024. So we're not going to presume that we know what everybody wants and needs. We're actually going to sit down, go through a hands-on workshop and hear from everybody who's attended. So you have an opportunity to drive the agenda of this organization moving forward. Even if you're just somebody attending the, the summit, I mean that's that's a lot of, of of power in a good way to put in the hands of, of somebody new. And and you know this industry more than most needs 
um, new blood and, and inclusivity. It's one of the reasons why I've been so excited about this, uh, this idea from the beginning. You mentioned about getting feedback from last year to this year. I'm just, this is just one really out of curiosity. What was that feedback? Which direction did people want to see you heading in that maybe at first you didn't, something you wouldn't have expected necessarily coming off the blocks? You know, we we had a lot of very positive feedback in the first year and everyone, you know, they enjoyed the things that we put on. They enjoyed the panels. Um, originally last year on Friday morning, we had a handicapping seminar. It went great. It was well attended. But I think that the main piece of feedback that we got was that people wanted more opportunities to talk to one another and have almost breakout sessions or, or these workshops. Um, and so that's why we brought the workshop to the Friday morning uh, programming because, you know, we try to give everyone opportunities to network at the welcome reception on Wednesday uh, and then listen to the panels and, and chat at the keynote or chat at the luncheon rather. Um, but then we really wanted to open up Friday to this opportunity for, for people to get their hands dirty and roll up their sleeves. Um, so that's new this year. And it's a direct result of listening and, and hearing from the community last year. Are there any specific success stories that, and I should have prepped you for this one, but it's a punt if you want, but that you could think of coming out of last year, somebody who's either gotten involved in the industry or been able to advance as a result of, of what happened out at the summit last year. One nice tidbit. I, I I love that the, with Jessica being out there for her panel is she'll have just be, been on the verge of making history uh, less than a week before calling the first grade one race uh, for an, a, a female caller in America. I love that. I'm just curious if there's any more sort of stories along those lines about progress that we can uh, tie back to the first women's summit. Yeah. You know, I think with Jessica, we're, we're so excited that that she's able to join us this year because I mean, what a, what an example of a of a groundbreaking move. And it was not easy for her. I mean, when when we, you know, approached her and had discussions about her her journey just to listen to what she went through and and sort of honestly the hate that she got when she first started, um, it's it's crazy. She really persevered through something that was groundbreaking and, and difficult. And so she's, you know, doing amazing and it's so exciting to hear that she's gonna be calling a grade one. Uh, so we can't wait to to hear from her firsthand. Um, I think there were probably a lot more success stories than I would even know or be privy to. But I, I do have one small anecdote. Um, I was at the uh, a meetup that we had at Naira this summer. Um, and one of the women who attended came up to me. I was on a panel at last year's uh, summit. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I remember you spoke and you one of the things that you had said was to be careful of how often that you say you're sorry and to not say you're sorry. It's something that women tend to do uh, in all aspects of life and in their written emails and the spoken word, just be careful of how often you are apologizing more often than not. You don't need to be apologizing. It's this, right. it's this weird knee jerk reaction. So I gave the crowd a, a couple tips of, you know, how you could reposition emails and, and things like that to avoid saying the words, I'm sorry, you know, profusely. And she just carried that with her. And she's like, I, I use that every day. And I think that that's an example of, of things that you hear from these panelists that you can take forward to your everyday life. And we really try to design the speaking um, component and, and the panel prep 
you know, we, we sit with every panelist, we prep them, we talk about what we really want to get out of the conversation. Obviously, you want them to infuse their personal experiences and, and, and make it their own. Um, but it really is action oriented. We want people to take away something that they can use in their everyday life. And, you know, that was just one example from, um, you know, an right. anecdote from this summer. Yeah, but it's it's great. It, it speaks to this idea that you can learn more tools to help yourself while getting to know people and try to address these very significant issues in our industry. We'll have you back again, Shona, to talk more about it because I know you got to go. Maybe we'll do a little deconstruction afterwards. I'm still trying to get out there. Not sure if I'm going to be able to pull that particular rabbit out of a hat or not. But in any case, I look forward to seeing you and speaking you uh, speaking with you more about this soon. Just remind folks one more time where they can get more information and purchase their tickets. Definitely. So go to womeninracingsummit.com, check out our website, click around. Um, tickets can be purchased on our Eventbrite page. So you can find the link to that right on the homepage. There's a big button that says purchase tickets. Uh, and we, we hope to see you there. If you have any questions, you can shoot a note over to info at womeninracingsummit.com. Happy to answer any questions you might have. And one FAQ, men are welcome. I want. I, I realize I should get this out there to our audience, which is which is majority male. Um, men who are interested in being allies, helping out, uh, you can participate in these events. Absolutely. We encourage men to join. Uh, you know, I know it's called the Horse Racing Women's Summit, but we definitely need male participation to support women in this sport as well. So we love having guys there. Many, many men did attend last year, and I think that they they learned a lot from the experience. So yes, men and women are alike, both welcome. Thank you, Shona. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete. Today's show also brought to you in part by our friends at Gainsway. Been so fun working with Gainsway on the Baby Talk episodes throughout the summer. We're going to have a bunch more for the big two-year-old races coming up. Excited to talk about all things Gainsway, whether it's their success at the sales, how well McKinsey is doing. We'll give you an update on that information, too. And, of course, with the big sale coming up now, we're going to have updates upon those updates Learn more about McKinsey and Tappet and all the Gainsway Stallions over at their website, Gainsway.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests for their time and their insights. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. They had a stakes winner over the weekend. I picked against them on TV. That was my bad. I should have just gone with the purple and black and swill down there. Also, Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. We got more whiskey, folks, and there ain't much more left, and this might be it. I don't know if we're going to do this again. So if you want yours, donate 200 bucks. trfinc.org slash players. Four-year-old rye whiskey aged an additional four months in apple brandy barrels. Sort of like an old-fashioned in a bottle. It's really good. Trust me on this and uh, get your bottle before it's too late. trfinc.org slash players. Oh, not to mention supporting the fantastic work done by the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. Reach out on Twitter if you want. I'm at Looms Boldly over there or through the contact page in themoneypodcast.com. That goes straight to my email. If you want to help us out, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel. We'll be live with another horse player happy hour this Thursday. Season's starting to wind down over there, but still plenty of chances to turn $20 into $10,000 through horse player happy hour. You can get involved in that game. Should be up very soon. Horseplayers.com. Just look for horse player happy hour. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.